Hey, this is Thomas Nelson, the young adult pastor here at Christ Covenant. And I appreciate you listening to this podcast. We just wanted to give a quick word before the podcast starts. And I'm with my friend, Will Carlisle. Ah, we love having Will. I don't like how I said my name there. Okay. Hey, this is Will Carlisle. I was going to start over. Will Carlisle. Uh, Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Will is our worship leader uh, on Sunday. Um, with Jordan Coughlin and on Tuesday, he, uh, he just leads such a great band with a great crew and our young adults are just amazing. Every once in a while, when you're leading worship, um, I'm sure this may happen to you every once in a while, you get a lyric wrong. Never happens to me. Okay. Well, every once in a while (laughs) when I'm preaching, I totally botch a scripture Mm. and I did that last night. Mm. I, I do get lyrics wrong sometimes. I do want to clarify that. Well, I just want to, as we roll into this podcast on the Trinity, it's our second one in the Trinity series with a real focus on prayer and how does the Trinity work in prayer. I botched two scriptures. It's okay. Well, so when you hear in this sermon, me saying Jeremiah 29, 11, and yet quoting Romans eight twenty eight, <laughs> I want to apologize we did not dub it over. <laughs> Come on. It's the, it's the humanity of the, the sermon podcast. Well, and what you also won't hear is the benediction that I gave at the end. It, it won't be in the podcast. But um, if you were a part of the young adults, that too got botched. Hey, but it's a, a wonderful sermon, Thomas. Great job. Well, well. And, I, and scripture references are hard. You know, <clears throat> I do in all candor and seriousness. I really try to show myself uh, a workman approved by God to be able to rightly divide the word, teaching the whole counsel of God. And so when one of these moments happens, I want to own it and apologize and just let you know, sometimes my mouth runs faster than my brain and that's what happened. And I'm real sorry about that. Hey, it's all good, but it's a, an amazing sermon from God's word on the the nature of the Trinity and how it affects how we pray. Mm. So I, as the person who did not preach the sermon, really commend it. So here we go. So our scripture reading for today will be from Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to 30. This is the word of God. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the, re- for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth, until now, and not only in the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, but who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, We wait for it with patience. And likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, 
But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. May God bless the reading of his word. Thanks, Chris. So the next uh, two verses from the end, what he just read, verse 28, obviously is a super famous verse, Romans 8, 28, all things work to good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Uh, we're in a, a series on the Trinity right now, and I, I wanted to do this series just a little different where we weren't looking like week one at the Father, week two at the Son, week three at the Holy Spirit. Uh, what I wanted to do is take all of the, the triune God, the full being as we see revealed in the scriptures, and say, okay, so how does the Trinity work in different settings that God has given us? So last week was on uh, how do we love one another? We're called beloved, and so we're supposed to love others, and how does that work with a triune God that we serve? And, uh, and Will Carlisle has been hard at work. We have, uh, we have like the most podcasting church there ever was, and so we have like daily rhythms and sermons and talkbacks, but we also have a young adult podcast, and so you can find the young adult podcast. It'll, it should be up, so if you can go catch up on last week's. This week, I really wanted to talk about the, the Trinity and how the Trinity works in prayer. And so I wanted to get specific, I wanna get specific with you. Things like, who do I pray to? Um, what is the Trinity doing during prayer? But I also kinda of wanted to land on a more sensitive note, and that is, why is God so disappointing? Why, why so many prayers that we pray just hit the ceiling and bounce right back down with an incredibly disappointing thud? as though the Lord is just withholding good from you because it's in his power to do so. And I think it's okay to be that abrupt and that aggressive in our language because you're just kind of naming the elephant in the room. This happens all the time. You have all probably, if you are Christian, have had a moment in your faith journey where you have prayed and prayed about something that you know is not bad, that you know God could give you, that you're pretty convinced would bring him glory in the process, and all you get is either dead silence or a resounding, loud, almost callous-sounding no. And why is that a thing? And what's happening? And so I want to address these things. We will not be able to cover everything in detail, but that's part of the reason that we like to have conversations and we like to hang out. So you can just come tomorrow to Wild Wednesday and hang out here and eat lunch and then we can like talk more. Um, and those of you who the Wild Wednesday regulars are like, stop inviting everybody. Um, but we want you to come. It's great. So if you work remote, just come and hang out. So let's, let's look for a minute at this passage that we were just read. Uh, the first part in Romans chapter 8 starts off with a really interesting deal because it's not talking about prayer, it's talking about the, the creation. 
So let's just read verses 18 through 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And now I have underlined in my Bible every time it says this, verse 19 starts, for the creation waits for eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation, there it is again, itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of and finally, finally we get a member of the Trinity represented solidly here, the Spirit Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for sons, for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is no hope for hope, for who hopes for what he sees, but we hope for what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. So, this is a very interesting thing because right after this, we're gonna get into the idea that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us before the Father with groanings that are beyond words. We're gonna get into, and all things work to good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But if we're gonna be good students of the Bible, if we're gonna study the Bible, we have to understand what happens before the thing that we really like. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11, God works all things to good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. You skip a couple of verses down and you get to verse 13 and it talks about for those who are seeking God with their whole heart. You zoom out a little bit more and you realize this is about people that are in bondage, incredible bondage to another nation. So we wanna know like what, when we study the Bible, what gets us to Romans 8, 28? Well, we have this motif of creation groaning out. If you've ever been to like a nursing home. You have seen old people in their fragile states, their bodies are groaning. If you've ever been to a place that has, um, that has a propensity for natural disasters like mudslides, you see there like this image of the earth groaning for something better. If you've ever seen beautiful snow-capped mountains, and if you've ever been able to witness, and I've witnessed a few of these, if you've ever witnessed an avalanche, you know, man, that is gonna wreak destruction. It's gonna rip trees up. In the summer when it rains and that snow melts, it's gonna create erosion. It's gonna rip those mountains apart. Like, everything around us is groaning to be repaired. And so we have this one little line, this one little line in this passage in verse 23. It says, and not only creation, but we ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit. We're groaning too. So why would the Spirit, part of the triune God, be mentioned in the creation account? and repairing creation. Let's go back to Genesis chapter one. 
You can flip there if you want. It's fine. Or is it behind me? Oh, Ashley, you're so good. Never mind. You don't have to flip. It's right there. You could just look. Looking's better than flipping. Okay. Genesis chapter one, the first three verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. The darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. The book that we just got, Cam, I think got a copy. Is it your birthday, Cam? Happy birthday. Yeah, Cam, the book that you just got. I didn't see who else got it, but the book that you just got, it is such a great little book. Um, if you're gonna write a book, make it like under 150 pages and you'll sell more. And so like he, he wrote this little tiny book that is just packed full of incredible truth about the triune God. And he says in there this super interesting line. He says, the father speaks and on his breath, the word is heard. What we see in Genesis one through three, we see the father speak and on his breath, the word is heard. I want you to hold your hand up in front of your face. I want you to say, hi. I want you to be able to feel it, hi. Can you feel your breath on your hand? You spoke, as you spoke, you breathed, as you breathed, a word happened. This is the picture of the Trinity in Genesis 1. The word for spirit in the Hebrew Bible is the word ruach. The ruach is the breath of God. When God spoke, let there be light, his breath comes out and the word makes it happen. So the spirit of God, the breath of God is accompanying the word of God in making all things. The spirit at the very beginning of time saw the formless and void earth become organized and beautiful and drew up mountains, and pulled the water away from the coast, and made the fish come to life and swim, and the birds fly. And then as the days of creation go on, the Lord himself, the Father, kneels down and breathes the Ruach into man. And as soon as the Ruach of God, the Spirit of God, hits the, the earthen man, he stands up and comes to life. All creation, according to Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25, is crying out to come back to life and to stop dying. What we see is the Father speak, and on his breath, that's the spirit, the word is heard. In 2 Corinthians 13, 14, it says of the Trinity, it says it's the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Do you see what's in the middle of the Father speaking and the Son, the word of God, making the breath? 
The Spirit is the great giver and unifier in the Trinity. The Spirit is the one that's pulling everything together, uniting it all with the Father and with the Son. And now it's interesting that in this incredible chapter, in Romans chapter 8, we would start off with this really poetic picture before we get to Romans 8, 28, of everything is groaning and calling out to be made right with the Father and the Son and ultimately new with the Father and the Son. When we get to the New Testament, the word is no longer ruach hodesh. Hodesh is the word for holy. Ruach is the word for spirit. It's no longer ruach hodesh because we're gonna, trans, we're gonna go over to, to, to Greek. When you get to Greek, the word is pneuma. We hear, we hear the word pneumatic in there. So the spirit of God, the word pneuma in the Greek, starts to show up more and more and more and we start to get a more clear picture of what this Holy Spirit does. And so I wanna show you, um, some of you like type A's out there, you're always like, give me every verse you just said. There you go, here's every verse. <laughs> All right, so here's the Holy Spirit's activity in the New Testament. And this is what happens, we talked about it last week, it's a theological term, progressive revelation. It's the Bible reveals God more and more and more clearly and personally as the Bible goes on. The Holy Spirit in that triune God becomes more and more clear, more and more visible, and more and more understood as the Bible goes on. And so this murky picture in Genesis 1 becomes really, really clear as time goes on. So in John 14, 26, and John 15, 26, he is the teacher, the spirit of truth. John 16, 7, G, uh, John, Jesus calls him the helper, the paraclete, the helper of the Jesus followers. In John 16, 8, Jesus says, when the spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin. So when you're in church and you hear that sermon and you're like, oh, that is uncomfortable. Like save your, save your things to throw and just ask, is that the Holy Spirit? Or when you're just driving around and all of a sudden you remember this offense you've done to someone else, like thank the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. In Acts 1.8, the Spirit gives us the power to witness. In Romans 5.5, 5, this is a beautiful verse, by the way. In Romans 5.5, 5, Paul says, the Spirit of God is the one who pours out the love. The Spirit really is like the giver, this incredible giver and unifier in the Trinity. In 1 Corinthians 12, he gives spiritual gifts, all kinds of gifts, some super sensational, like speaking in tongues and those kinds of things, gifts of healing. Some are gifts of administration, very practical, like giver of gifts. 2 Corinthians uh, 13, 14, he gives fellowship with God and other believers. Galatians 5, 22 through 23, the Spirit, we were told what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Ephesians 4.30, we learn that the Spirit can be grieved. And this is important for tonight. You can grieve the Spirit, make the Spirit sad. And that ties right in with 1 Thessalonians 5.19, which says that the Holy Spirit, think of what a gentleman God is. And by when I say God, I mean the triune God. 
The fact that he would send his son, the father would send his son because he loves you so much. The son would give himself for you because he loves you and the father so much. And the spirit would descend upon us and give us life to unify us with the Father and the Son, and simultaneously, the Spirit will back off when you tell him to get lost. That is an incredible and wild and not understandable truth for me. But as a believer, you can harden your heart to the breath of God himself. So this Spirit This spirit is taught to us in verses 18 through 25 of Romans 8. And it says in verse 26, likewise, the spirit, the one that all creation is groaning out for to make us new, bring us to life, the spirit helps us in our weaknesses. It says, We don't even know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Before we get further into this, I just want to back up and just show you, in case you did miss last week, I just want to show you like a a picture of kind of what we're dealing with here. So last week I drew this image on, on my iPad. I think, am I connected still? Okay. Look at that. This is great. All right, just so you know, this is live. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Um, Okay, last week we drew this image just to try to give you a little bit of an understanding of what does the triune God, how does he he work, how does he come together? And then after we finished last week, because I was so proud, one, because the drawing was like legible mostly, um, I was so proud, and it just looks cool on this new technology, but I actually felt convicted afterwards. And I felt convicted in a couple of ways. And one is, uh, I just felt the Lord convicting me saying, don't think that you've represented me with a drawing. And that's 100% accurate. This is just a helpful tool for our little minds to start to understand how in the world a triune God who is one can be represented and be, be somewhat understood by us. I do think this is a helpful tool. It's an old tool. In these three circles, forget the man circle for just a second. In these three circles, we see in the inside the the old symbol of the Trinity. And what we have is Jesus, because of, of John 3, 16, the Father so loved the world that he sent his Son. His Son takes on flesh. That's why we have man and Son together. But the other thing that I was convicted of was I really kind of missed the mark on this. And so I'm going to go to a different little picture here. So here we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I think probably what we should have done last week is said, so in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, what we have is this is what's called the hypostatic union. This is when the son takes on the flesh. And do you realize that the rest of the New Testament, we never see Jesus go back to not a man-like look at least? Once he took on flesh, he retains the look. Now that, my friends, is an incredible sacrifice. 
But not just stopping here. I think I should have drawn another circle and said, this is the world. Once he took on flesh, and he who knew no sin becomes sin on our behalf. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. Then anyone who would confess that Jesus is Lord would become righteous by his grace through faith. But what happens is the son on the cross traded places and left the comfort of the Father and the Spirit and abandoned all of that so that we would never have to. And it's at that point that we are made new. And the incredible thing that the scriptures seem to teach is that now we are brought in to union with the Lord. That is a wild, wild truth. This is what God is doing, though. He is bringing us as creation calls out for redemption. If we are saved in Christ, we are brought into the fold. We are seated in the heavenly places. We are brought home with him, and we spend the rest of our lives, unfortunately, bouncing back and forth between, I want to get out and let me back in. Now, I'm not talking about losing your salvation here. I'm talking more metaphorically when we willfully rebel against the Lord. And then we say, oh, forgive me, bring me back. I'm talking about fellowship. We spend the rest of our lives trying to figure out how to stay in fellowship with the Lord. And one of the biggest ways that that happens is in our prayer life. So let's now look at these famous verses in Romans 8, starting in verse 26. So this spirit, the unifier, likewise, the spirit of God, the breath, the ruach of God, the Father, helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Likewise, just like he carried the breath of the Father to the Son to the world, giving life, he carries the breath of the Father to the children, giving life. Now think about this. When you get disappointed with God in your prayers, maybe it's a prayer about health, maybe it's a prayer about singleness, maybe it's a prayer about marriage, maybe it's a prayer about family, maybe it's a really righteous prayer about somebody getting saved, maybe it's not quite as righteous of a prayer as like, why won't that person call me back? Like, you know, whatever the prayer life is, imagine the humility of the Spirit of God, the breath of God, interceding back and forth between the Father and us, and the Father is hearing these prayers and the father is like, Don't, do they even know what to pray for? 
I love them so much, they're just missing it. And the Spirit says, I, this is what they're praying for, and here's why they're praying for it. And it's not because there's miscommunication between the Father and the Spirit. It's because the Spirit knows I am trying to bring them back to life. I am trying to bring them into fullness. I'm trying to bring them into complete unity with what we, the triune God, want. And so the Spirit goes to bat for us, and the Spirit prays for us. Those times that you, if you've ever gone to bed crying, praying for something, the Spirit didn't stop when you fell asleep. He kept on talking to the Father about this beloved child. So the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And then verse 27 is so interesting. He who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of, of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Father himself is searching your heart. And the Father, is. we're told in the Scripture, he is the giver of good gifts. He pours out his love on us. The Father is not some, some mean, senile grandpa up in heaven. The Father is the one who loved the world and therefore sent his Son to the world. The Father is searching your heart. Graham Kircher on the front row. Graham, I love, Graham's always on the front row. He and Kaylee, I love this. And so Graham and I, we work out together some. I watch Graham work out. He's very strong. Um, I'm like inspired. And so Graham, I, like, I know Graham's heart a little bit, but the Father knows this man's heart deeply. And the Father has chosen to use the Spirit to try to readjust Graham's heart to the Father's heart. And so the Spirit has this back and forth from the, from the heart of the Father to the heart of you, to the heart of the Father, to the heart of you. And he's not trying to change the heart of the Father because the heart of the Father doesn't need to be changed. He's trying to change your heart to the heart of the Father. Remember, we were the ones that were broken and were being glorified and redeemed. We're the ones that were way off base it's no wonder you pray prayers that don't work. You're coming from a really bad spot called hellbound, sinful and separated for all eternity. It's no wonder that we get no's because we don't even know what we're supposed to be asking. And so the Spirit who searches our hearts and knows the Lord's heart goes back and forth and back and forth. And he says in verse 27, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God, not according to the will of the saint. I mean, I know some of your stories, and I know some of the heartache that you've had because you can't change God's will. And maybe one of the messages tonight is that it's not his will that needs changing. Maybe it's mine and yours that needs changing. We get to verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, not those who get no's, not those who continue to wrestle, not those who continue to say, I'm gonna pray it one more time, I'm gonna try it one more time, I'm gonna try it one more time. You can do all that and, and be, 
a person who truly loves God, for the person who truly loves God, eventually your heart and your will mold because you follow the Spirit who's leading you to the heart of the Father. Your will changes. The Spirit intercedes back and forth. And because you love God, but more so because he loves you, all of those things that you've been praying for, the ones that happen, and especially the ones that don't, they will work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Look, you ask, what's the purpose of prayer? Piper's written about this, um, like several living guys and lots and lots of dead people have written about what is the purpose of prayer and does prayer change anything? And honestly, that's probably another sermon for another day. But I would tell you tonight, prayer isn't for you to get what you want. Prayer is to get you right in the center of the triune being. Prayer is to get you right, nuzzled up to the heart of the Father who loves us and sent his Son for us, the Spirit who is constantly interceding, trying to show the saints what is the will of God. In, in, uh, in Hebrews, we're told, uh, it's, or in Romans, we're told, Romans 12, we're told it's the good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what's happening here is not I'm trying to change God and get this thing to happen and get this job to work out or get this, this relationship fixed or get this person into heaven. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get my head around what is the heart of God and help me be content there. And sometimes, sometimes it's like beautiful. You're so in step with the Spirit you have that conviction, I need to pray about this thing, and you pray about it, and it just happens. The problem is, occasionally you can feel like you're playing the lottery in that moment, and you're like, jackpot. All those other prayers didn't work out, but that one did. Time to start praying about everything that I think I want. And it leads to this quick disappointment. And you forget that what you were really doing is you were telling God back what his heart already was. That's why it's so crucial to remember to pray scriptures. It's important to call God out on his word. I think that's where the Matthew 7 passage comes in. You don't have because you don't ask. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. I think that passage doesn't come into like this willy-nilly, I want it, so I'm gonna pray for it and God's gonna give it to me. That passage comes in with, God, I know this is in alignment with your will. Do this thing, knock the walls down, make it happen, let's see you work. That's when we call back the promises of God to God. Prayer is for us to be reshaped. Prayer is for us to receive peace and wisdom and at times things that we otherwise wouldn't have had. And you know, I do love the verses in Matthew 7. It says, uh, it says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And so therefore, when it comes to who do we pray to, and I know there's popular songs about praying to Jesus. I know that people talk about when they, they start their prayers and they're like, Jesus, thank you. Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, do all the things. 
Um, that's good. We love Jesus. We love the Spirit. We love the Father. But there does seem to be a prescription in the Bible on who we're talking to. I used to ask my mom to go spend the night at people's house because she would usually say yes. And typically I was just afraid of my dad. And he was a good dad. Like there was no reason to be afraid. I don't know if you had like a parent that you would go to when you wanted the thing. Some of you were like, I still do. Yeah, I know. Um, and so like break free, y'all. Um, but that's, uh, no, it's, it's I, I get that. Like we all have like the person, maybe you have like a boss right now. Maybe you have like another person who's also in charge and you're like, I know who to ask for the time off. Um, and so like, you know, that's just kind of how it works. That's not how God is. That is not how the triune being works. It's not like Jesus is like, yeah, I'll ask dad for you. It's not, that's not how it works. What we see in scripture is that we pray to the father and we pray through the son. He's the one who gives us access and we pray by the Holy Spirit. We're in this triune being as we talk, and we're talking not to the God who's like, give me five good reasons why I should give you that time off or that thing. We pray to the Father who loved us. Through the Son, he sent for us by the Spirit who unites us. So as we kind of start to land the plane, we still have to ask the question, why is God so disappointing? And I think if you've never asked that question, either you're brand new to faith, you didn't know you could ask it, or you're just not telling the truth. Why is he so disappointing? I was reading in my, just in my quiet time, my time with the Lord, I was reading in John 19. In John 19, 38 through 42, I won't, I won't read it to you. Um, Ashley is on it. Like, it's up there. She's so good. Um, you can read it. But I'm just gonna kind of paraphrase it. Here's what happens. Jesus is dead. And he's just died. And Nicodemus, who came to him at night in John chapter three, comes lugging 75 pounds of spices. And you know they were all wondering as they took the body of Jesus off the cross. Why is God so disappointing? This man, of all people, shouldn't have died. And yes, the temple veil was torn in two. And yes, some people came out of their tombs, but I don't know that Nicodemus saw any of it or heard about it. And if he did, I don't know if he believed it. You can just imagine. He goes to bed that night just knowing, now I've just got to get myself adjusted to God is just disappointing. And Saturday comes. And do you know what indication we have that God did on Saturday in the Bible? We have an indication he did nothing. He just let him sit there. Because on the seventh day, God rests. But on the first day of the week, word began to spread 
that maybe God's not that disappointing. Maybe he was actually cooking up something that we never could have imagined. They didn't know the Lord had a better plan. Three years ago, I prayed, there was a whole team of people praying for me that I would be the pastor at another church. We prayed and prayed and prayed. People had like prophetic words over me and for you like Frozen Chosen, you don't get that. For you Wesley people, you're like, I know what you're talking about. Um, and so like, like people were like, you're it. God's told me you're it. I know you're it. And like, I was like, praise be, let's do this. And so again, a lot of Presbyterians, cool. Um, should have gone to Wesley. Uh, and so anyway, like there's just like, there was a, there was like a, a lot of, a lot of this affirmation of this is what the Lord wants. This is what the Lord wants. This is what the Lord wants. And I got a phone call and out of thousands of people all across the nation, you're in the, you're in the final nine. I was like, oh, I'm in the nine. And then I get another phone call. Hey, we've, we've let a lot of people go. There's like four of you left. Oh, there's four of us left. And then I get a phone call in the middle of the afternoon one day. Hey, they've decided not to interview you. I didn't know any of you existed. I mean, a few of you were in our old college ministry. I knew you existed, but I didn't, th- this didn't even really exist. Like, And I really thought God was super disappointing. And I actually thought he was disappointing for a long time after that. But the Spirit is so good because he pulls us back to the Father's heart as we pray. And he tells us over and over again, the Father's heart is good. The Father's heart is better. The Father's heart is good. The Father's heart is better. Stop praying that prayer. I'm gonna say no again. I don't wanna keep having to say no to you, but I'm gonna say no to you. That is not the will of the Father. Heather and I had no idea that you were the will of the Father. If I had just... If, if I could have just realigned my heart quicker, I, I would have been, I would have just been overjoyed at what he was gonna do next, but I was stuck in what he didn't do. And I just wanna challenge you, don't live in what he didn't do. Live in the hopes of what he's going to do. Every no I've ever experienced from him has turned out to be a really gracious thing. So maybe it's not God who's disappointing. Maybe it's you projecting your will over his that's disappointing. He is genuine and authentic and loving and consistent and we're not. We need to pray hard, but we need to accept his answer. We fall in love with the Father and we press on to know him more and to make him known. Romans 8.28 just screams to me, maybe the question for those of you disappointed with God isn't does he love me, but do I love him? 
We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. It's really easy. Hear me on this. It is really easy to flip that on its head. It's really easy to say, God, I know you're good and I know you're gonna come through. I'm just really mad right now. You've burned me. You need to show up and prove yourself to me. And you're claiming Romans 8, 28 at the exact same time. If that's you, you need to reread Romans 8, 28. God works all things together for good to those who love him, not to those whose hearts are hardened towards him. It's time for a fresh reading of this word. And by the way, who delivers the no from the Father? Sam, who delivers the no from the Father? The, the, the breath of God. The Father speaks the no, and the breath of God, the Spirit, delivers the no. Who walks with you in the no? It's the Spirit of God that walks with you in the no. He doesn't just deliver it and leave. He delivers it and stays. So for some of you, you need to go read Luke 18, one through eight. If you're like, I know I'm praying something that's in accordance with the Lord's will. It's a great parable Jesus told, Luke 18, one through eight. Go read that. But for some of you, it's time to stop giving the Lord the cold shoulder. And it's time to start realizing he loves me and he's walking with me. It's time for me to turn back and walk with him in the know and figure out what is his yes. What is the good that he's going to do? Benjamin Hastings has a great new album out. It's like 57 songs. I think it's like 24 actually. But I just wanna read this to you because it's, it's sweet, especially if you're like, look, it's easy to tell me to fix my life in 30 minutes, but it's harder than that. If you really are wrestling with God who's disappointed you and you know he loves you, but you know the ball's in your court and it's time to warm back up to him. I'll read you these lines. He giveth more grace as our burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as our labors increase. He added afflictions, to added afflictions, he addeth mercy. To multiply trials, he multiplies peace. When we've exhausted our store of abundance, of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, the Father's full giving has only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting, availing. The Father, both thee and thy load, will unbear. His love has no limits, his grace has no measure, his power no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. 
the Father who loves, the Son who gave his life, the Spirit who dwells in you, invites you to seek him in prayer for all the things, but because of all the fellowship. Father, I ask tonight that you would help us to desire more than anything you can give us to know you above all else, to rest safely in the midst of you, the triune God. Lord, Father, you do love. And Jesus, you did come. And Spirit, you do lead. And so, Lord, would you soften our hearts to trust you again, to believe that you are good, and that you call out that we walk with you. Lord, as the rest of creation groans, may we exist as one who is being restored. And may that be a powerful witness to the rest of the world. It's in Jesus' name I pray, Lord. Amen.